Thank you, Jonathan. There are 57 verses, so sit back or sit forward, but sit. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile. When out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and the wise men in Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he, impri he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up, ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dreams, I also saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good, good heads. I told this to the magicians, but none could explain it to me. Then, Pharaoh, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They 
our seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And now, let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command and men shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphnath Paneah and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began. Just as Joseph had said, there was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. 
when the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe in all the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good evening. For those who, who don't know me, I'm Jason Garrett, and I've been part of this church for, for more than 20 years. Um, and I've been involved in various aspects of church life in that time. Um, I've been on the PCC, I've led small groups, um, and currently I'm sometimes part of the worship band. Um, I'm part of the GO team that supports our mission partners, and as Jonathan has said, I'm part of the Eco Church team as well. But when I'm not involved in church, for my day job, um, I work for an organisation called World Vision, uh, which is an international Christian children's charity. And we work in about 100 countries around the world. And our focus is on working with the most vulnerable children in the hardest places. Now, as this is Climate Sunday, we're going to look at some aspects of, of how climate change is affecting our world and what the Bible has to say about it. Um, but before we, we do that, let's pray. Father God, I pray that during this evening we will be open to what you want to say to us and that the words I speak will be in tune with your spirit. And I pray that we will all learn more about the climate crisis and how you want each of us to respond. Amen. So climate change is impacting our world in a number of different ways, including an increase in the, the frequency and the intensity of disasters. So this evening we're going to look at why does a God of love allow disasters to happen? We see disasters on our TV screens and in our newspapers on a fairly regular basis. Last year in 2020, there were droughts, floods and storms across Latin America, Asia and Africa, as well as protracted conflicts and of course the impact of COVID-19 across the whole world. World Vision, who I work for, World Vision UK responded to emergencies in 24 countries during the year. And we supported over a million people, as you can see in this slide here. Disaster events across just about every continent. And that was in 2020. Um, and more recently during this year, 2021, we've seen an earthquake in Haiti, floods across Europe and particularly in Germany, as well as in Australia earlier in the year, and in China and Sri Lanka and in Indonesia. Hurricane Ida hit the United States, and both Fiji and Mozambique have each been hit by three cyclones just in this year. So some of these are disasters that we would have heard about in the UK, but there are also many other disasters that happen at a much smaller scale to local communities, floods and droughts, that don't make the news, but still cause devastation. And we see events in this country, with flooding in different parts of the UK, becoming a regular occurrence. And these cause misery for those involved, but we also know that in other parts of the world, floods, droughts and storms cause much greater misery and suffering for people. We often call these events natural disasters, or we use the term acts of God. 
But as Christians, we believe in a God of love. So why does he let disasters happen? It's easy to be a little bit glib about this and just say, oh, well, God knows more than us and and we don't understand his purposes. But actually, I think this issue presents us with quite a challenge and one that many of us as Christians, as well as those who don't necessarily share our faith, struggle to reconcile. So we're going to look a little bit more closely at, uh, at this this evening. I can't guarantee I'm going to be able to answer every question, but hopefully it will help us to have a little bit more of an understanding of, of a complex issue. So, this is what we're going to do this evening. First of all, we'll, we'll look at what some people say about disasters, and particularly what some Christians say. And then we're going to look at what the Bible says about disasters and why they might happen. And then thirdly, we'll look at what the academics say. What is the theory of disasters? And after that, we're going to have a, a closer look at that story that David read to us, and thank you very much for an excellent reading, and sorry it was quite such a long reading, but we're going to have a, a, a closer look at that story to see how Joseph was able to prevent a major disaster happening in Egypt and what that story can tell us. And then after that, we'll have a look at some of the work the World Vision has been doing in Uganda in particular to help local communities be better, prefer, better prepared for disasters so that they don't have such a devastating impact. So to begin with, what do people say about disasters? Well, for some people, they believe that disasters are God's punishment, the result of sin. And so they put blame on the victims of a disaster. For example, the American TV preacher Pat Robertson said that the Haiti earthquake back in 2010 was due to the people of Haiti having a pact with the devil. And in 2012, a local councillor in the UK wrote to David Cameron, who was then the Prime Minister, to say that the floods in the UK were due to the passing of the Same-Sex Marriage Act. So are disasters the result of sin? What does the Bible say? Well, in the Old Testament, there's the story of Job, who was a good, righteous man, but he had to face a number of calamities or disasters in his life. His friends thought all this happened to him because of sin. In Job chapter 22, verse 5, Job's friend Eliphaz says, Is not your wickedness great? Are not your sins endless? However, the full story shows that this is not the case, and Job had not sinned to cause the distress that came on his life. He was, in fact, a good, faithful man. And God allowed these things to happen to him, not because of sin, but because God knew that he would remain faithful to God even through these calamitous events. And then in the New Testament, in Luke's Gospel, there's the story of the Tower of Siloam. It's probably not a very well-known story. It's only a fairly short section. But it's a story of a tower that collapses killing 18 people. And people come to Jesus and say, well, why was it? Was it the, the, the sin of the people who died or was it the sin of their ancestors that caused the disaster to happen? But Jesus rejects that view. And he rejects the view that the people who died were worse sinners than others. 
and that that was the reason they died. Jesus says that we are all sinners and we all need to repent. We cannot sit in judgment over those who are suffering and suggest that their sins are the reason for their suffering as a direct punishment from God. In Matthew 5, Jesus declares that the sun rises on the evil and the good and the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. God doesn't target particular people. Good and bad circumstances and situations happen to us all. Not because some may have sinned or are worse than others or more deserving of punishment. So the Bible rejects the idea that disasters are a direct result of sin. But many people still tend to hold on to the idea that bad things happen to us as a form of punishment. Now, there is an argument that disasters do happen as a result of sin, but not necessarily the sin of those who suffer. But we'll come back to that later. So if disasters are not caused by sin and God's judgment, why do they happen? Disasters are often referred to as natural disasters. And we think of events such as floods, droughts, earthquakes, cyclones and hurricanes as natural disasters. But in fact, there's nothing natural about a disaster. Floods, droughts, cyclones, earthquakes, they're hazards. They are natural events, but they don't necessarily have to result in a disaster. A disaster occurs when there is a hazard, but also when people are particularly vulnerable to that hazard. In other words, a hazard together with a vulnerability results in a disaster. So a similar hazard can cause a major disaster in some places and a much less severe event somewhere else where people are less vulnerable. And to illustrate this, we'll look at some disasters from the past. So in 2010, there was the earthquake in Haiti that we've already mentioned, which Pat Robertson blamed on the pact with the devil. The earthquake killed about 150,000 people. But soon afterwards, there was an earthquake of a very similar magnitude that hit Chile, but only 525 people died. So 150,000 in one place and only 500, just over 500 somewhere else, for what was essentially the same hazard, the same scale, the same type of earthquake. There were some differences, perhaps, in the scale of the earthquake, but the biggest difference was the vulnerability of the people. Chile is a more developed, wealthier country than Haiti and has much better regulations on construction to make buildings more earthquake-resistant. And they are able, also able to enforce those regulations. Some countries may have quite good regulations, but they can't actually enforce them. Somewhere like Haiti doesn't even really have the regulations, let alone the ability to enforce them. Haiti is a very poor country with a long history of poor governance, with many people living in poor standard housing and a very weak infrastructure. The earthquake therefore caused a much bigger disaster in Haiti than in Chile due to the greater vulnerabilities in Haiti. But also, vulnerabilities can change over time. Bangladesh was hit by a large cyclone 
as in this picture here, back in 1991. And that killed 138,000 people. But in 2007, as you can see, a very similar cyclone hit very similar parts of the country. If we can maybe just flip back to the previous slide, and so you can see very much the same kind of... Um, the colours show the, the strength of the cyclone, if we can flip forward again. So very similar strength of cyclone, pretty similar path, slightly different, but very similar path that it takes through the country. So, as we said, in, in uh, 1991, 138,000 people killed. In 2007, for this second cyclone, only 3,447 people died. A huge reduction. So why was there so much difference between the two cyclones? Well, it's largely due to Bangladesh putting a lot of work into reducing people's vulnerabilities to cyclones in the 15 years or so between the two events. Bangladesh established early warning systems so that people would know in advance that cyclones were coming. Also, cyclone shelters were built where people could stay for a few days while the cyclone passed through. Plus, a lot of work had been done to make sure that people knew what to do when they heard the early warnings. All of this was a combination of the Bangladesh government, community groups and charitable organisations working together. Although the 2007 cyclone still caused a lot of damage, far fewer people lost their lives. So while hazards are natural, disasters are not. They are caused by people's vulnerabilities. And people can be vulnerable to hazards for a variety of reasons, but a lot of those reasons are connected to poverty and the lack of choices that come from being poor. It is usually the poorest and the most marginal, marginalised who live in places most vulnerable to flooding, for example, and who have the least resources to be able to cope with and recover from a disaster. And because the most marginalised have little in the way of voice that is heard by those in power, little is done to protect them from potential disasters. And in recent years, climate change has been making hazards more intense and more frequent. But it is still the most vulnerable people who are the most badly affected. And with disaster events becoming more frequent, it gives even less time for people to recover from one event before another one comes along, pushing people and their communities further into poverty and vulnerability. Which brings us back to sin. Climate change is an issue that has been largely caused by the wealthiest countries in the world through our history of emitting carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, which continues to this day. However, the most negative consequences of climate change are felt by those least responsible, particularly those who suffer the impacts of the droughts, floods and storms that are the result. Maybe in the past, we weren't necessarily aware of the consequences of our actions in terms of climate change, but we are certainly very much more aware now. Our desire for continued economic growth, fueled by rampant consumerism, greed and a disregard for the environment around us and across the world can be seen as a sin as we ignore Jesus' instructions to love our neighbours as ourselves. And so yes, perhaps disasters are a consequence of sin 
but unfortunately, it isn't the sin of those who are the victims. However, as we saw from the case of Bangladesh, there are things that can be done to reduce people's vulnerabilities. So we can be better prepared, we can mitigate the risks, and we can build resilience. And the Bible reading that we had earlier actually illustrates all of this really well. Perhaps it could be known as Joseph and his amazing technicolored drought management policy. I was told not to include any jokes, but I couldn't resist that one. Um, so, it's the story of Pharaoh's dream when there were seven fat cows and seven thin cows and then the seven healthy heads of grain and the seven thin heads of grain. And they represented seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. Now, Joseph was able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams and so he was put in charge of Egypt's response to the situation. Joseph put in place a system to save food from the years of plenty so that there was enough food to cope with the years of famine. So although there were seven bad years, good management of resources during the previous seven good years averted a disaster. So in terms of, of the previous slide, Joseph had an effective early warning system in the dreams of Pharaoh and God helping him to interpret those dreams. Egypt was therefore better prepared for the seven bad years by keeping stocks of food from the seven good years. They were able to mitigate the risks from the seven bad years and ensure that the people of Egypt were not as vulnerable as those in the surrounding countries, which included Joseph's family who fled Israel for Egypt in search of food. Because the famine, the bad years, would have affected not just Egypt but the other countries in the region. And people came from those countries to Egypt to get food because Egypt was a country that was prepared because it had the early warning system and had kept those stocks of food so that they were more resilient to that disaster. So by taking positive action ahead of time, Joseph was able to prevent a disaster even though they faced a severe hazard. Now World Vision, the organisation I work with, is following in this great biblical tradition by working with communities around the world to help them manage better in the face of a variety of different hazards. Now in Uganda, we worked with the Ugandan Nas National Meteorological Authority and other parts of the Ugandan government in a project that was funded through UK aid, through a, a UK Met Office program that was called WISER which stands for Weather and Climate Information Services for Africa. doesn't really quite work, but WISER is a, a good name for it. Um, and yes, it was funded through UK aid, so probably everybody in this room pays some tax that goes to the UK government, and some of that goes to the aid programme, and some of the aid programme paid for this project. So thank you very much for your contribution to the work that we were able to do in Uganda. So in Uganda, the government have been producing weather forecasts, including seasonal forecasts to give people essential information about upcoming rainy seasons. Unfortunately, this information was provided in English and normally using quite technical language. So it's not actually been very helpful for most Ugandans, especially the rural poor, who are the most vulnerable to droughts and to floods 
and to the changing seasons and the weather patterns that result from climate change. So well Vision worked with the Uganda Met Authority to translate those forecasts into 22 local languages. And with the local authorities in 22 different districts, as well as local radio stations, community groups, faith leaders, community leaders, we made sure that that information was widely available. The project also provided advice for farmers on what they can do in response to that forecast information. And this has enabled poor farmers to be better prepared for periods of too little or too much rain, bringing some more certainty at a time when climate change is creating more uncertainty about seasons and climate and weather. And by the end of the project, over 200,000 people have been reached directly with the translated weather and climate information across those 22 districts. Those are people that we know actually received the information. We have on record somebody in some form provided it for them. All of this information was also broadcast across local radio stations and we think that probably about three million more people could well have heard those forecasts, or some of them, over the local radio. We can't actually guarantee that they did, but the reach of those radio stations was probably at least three million people. Now, at the beginning of the project, only 13% of farmers in those districts felt that the forecasts they received were accurate and relevant. But at the end of the 18-month project, that had increased to 78%. And in addition, over 80% of the farmers who received the, the improved information took positive actions to improve their resilience as a result. So that means over 160,000 farmers have now adopted new practices, such as choosing a particular crop variety to plant based on the forecasts, or planting on recommended dates, or taking pest control measures, or using soil conservation techniques, or planting or even regenerating trees. So all this improved information, together with a lot of the other activities that World Vision is doing to support those farmers, is helping them to adapt to climate change and to be more resilient to disasters that might happen in the future. So now as we kind of come into a bit of a close, I'd like you to remember three things. First of all, disasters are not a punishment from God. Secondly, we can help people to be less vulnerable to natural hazards. And thirdly, action on climate change will help to make the poorest less vulnerable. And I would also like you to pray for three things as well. Pray for COP26, which is the international climate change talks in Glasgow that are happening in November. Pray especially that the voices of the most marginalised and vulnerable people will be heard, particularly women, children, people with disabilities. Now, given the limitations on travel because of the pandemic, many poorer countries will have far fewer people attending than usual, um, which will make it even harder for them to be heard in the various negotiations that take place. So please pray that those voices, and particularly the voices of the the poorest people that those people represent can be heard in those meetings. And secondly, pray for really ambitious decision-making to be taken at COP26. Pray for our leaders in the UK as they lead the process, that they will make some of the tough decisions that they really need to make. 
And thirdly, can you also pray for those of us who are actually going to be there? I'm going to be in Glasgow for the second week of COP. It runs for the first two weeks of, of November. I expect it will be a very, very busy time and pretty exhausting time. So please do pray for, for myself and my colleagues and for the other Christian organisations that will, will be there as well. This morning we had Ruth Valerio speaking who works for Tear Fund. Tear Fund will be there. I've got friends um, who work for Tear Fund who I know will be up in Glasgow as well. So please pray for us um, as we, we try and put our messages across and try and influence the people who are making the decisions in that meeting. But also, I believe that when we pray, God wants us to act as well. So here are three things that we can do. First of all, I would like to encourage each of us to do what we can to reduce our own carbon footprints and reduce our impact on the environment. So that might mean switching to a greener energy supplier or maybe eating less meat or using your car less or maybe other things as well. Secondly, we can all sign up to um, something called Creation Care, which is similar to Eco Church, but is designed for households. So whether you live alone, with friends, or as a family, you can sign up, go through their survey to see how well you are doing across seven different areas of life, and get ideas for how to progress on your journey to caring more for God's creation. And finally, I would really like us all to sign up to what is called the Time Is Now Declaration. It's from the Climate Coalition, which is a network of various groups and organisations across the UK who have come together to campaign for more action on climate change. You can sign up as an individual, as a business or as a church, and it only takes a few minutes. And you can, I think, also pledge to take action for yourself as well as urging our leaders to act at COP26 in a few weeks' time. So we can put links to those in the weekly email that goes out so that um, you can um, click through to those when you receive the email. So if you are new to St Paul's, do go to the welcome desk at the back at the end of the service and sign up so that then you can receive those emails as well. And now finally, I would like to pray for all of us. Father God, Thank you for the services we have had here today, thinking about the climate crisis. We pray for our leaders that they will make decisions in a few weeks' time at COP26. But also, please guide all of us in the way you want us to live and the changes you may be asking each of us to make. Amen.